0: I think we're really fortunate through Theatre Life to be meeting so many talented people, right?
1: It's dangerous, sometimes it's scary and it makes me think because we work with spoken word here, right? so we say things and it is scary.
0: I don't care what department you sit in, you can learn from everybody around you in every show that you do, in every department there is opportunity for you to know more.
1: I think among women, we need to talk more. We need to share more experiences. I've heard this so much, but it's just been recently that I actually realised how helpful it is to share experiences.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world. The culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Ana Aguilera.
1: So it's the second time we went through this and we've talked about putting team togethers, learning technical stuff, government influence and corporate influence in the arts. What else? Women in the industry, leadership. Women in the industry. Yeah, so, so like all of these... <laughs> <laughs> All of these problems
0: we solving <laughs> offline and now you're scaring me because we've got to, re- got to be careful about what we say now.
1: <laughs> well, we kind of share our own experiences, personal experiences going through and getting into the industry and then staying and how awkward it can get. These conversations where they they don't fully know and understand what they're telling you and and you're like, but, but what you're telling me is just not right in so many levels and this disconnect of people having a good intention but but also making you feel very uncomfortable because they f- don't understand what they're saying or the repercussions of 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 their words
0: yeah I think that's something that's kind of I reflect on so now that I've been in the industry for a little bit of time is just the impact of words on people who are younger in the industry, right? So if you're in your early 20s and you're trying to break into the industry, for me, I feel like I try to be really encouraging of, of, of anyone that is learn, looking to learn or trying to um, do it because I know that my experience has, and I'm pretty stubborn, so I was able to work through some of the treatment that I was given when I was younger and still remain in the industry, but I think it's becoming less and less acceptable nowadays seeing that, you know, Me Too and all these movements about um, equity and diversity and stuff and these conversations are being had, even only in the last couple of years, really more at the forefront. It still doesn't mean that there's a lot of unconscious bias and cultural conditioning that people live and work in and they say things that they don't mean to be, um, they might even mean to be encouraging, right, or giving them advice. But it's also, like I'll give you one example. Many, many years ago I did this gig in Newtown and I worked with this production manager. I don't know if I've told you this story. And we went out after this and I worked my butt off um, on this. I think it was like, I can't remember. It was a play festival or something like that. And, and I was the stage manager and everything like that. And I went out with the production manager after the gig had finished and we were having a beer at the pub next door from the venue and I don't remember how the conversation got to this point but I remember this these sentences and he said to me you know Anna you'll never be a good stage manager and I was like oh, okay why is that and he goes because you're not enough of a bitch and, and I just remember like I think that it was that was him trying to be <laughs> I don't know I think he was trying to help me but I just, it was just like the worst advice that anyone could give me because I was really hurt. I was like, what, I have to be a bitch to be a stage manager? Like, what is, what is this advice? And I, and I remember going home and feeling like, I don't know, honestly, I felt like, sh- you know, it's like, okay, for, first of all, you saying I'll never be a good stage manager means you don't think I was a good stage manager on the gig we just did together. And now you're telling me I have to change my personality because I like to be kind to people, right? And uh, it was just a really bad, (laughs) it was a really bad advice. And that's not the only experience that I've had, you know, in those early 20s where people have said really asinine things to me like that. And you just... Ah, it's crazy, and then to go on and like be some of the, a stage manager for some of the biggest shows in the world. Obviously, it didn't stop me, but I think for other people that could be quite crushing, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Like, it's dangerous. Sometimes it's scary and it makes me think because we work with spoken word here, right? So we say things, and it is scary. Like what you can say that you don't fully think through or fully comprehend or you simply don't know. Remember that conversation we had with Fusunene um, about sharing a message that you don't want to miss. Share and and I don't know that. Yeah, that that's intimidating. But maybe it is intimidating, or we think about it because we have been on the other side of seeing people or hearing people tell us this kind of things. That like, I think you're coming from a good place, but but this means so many things that I don't agree with. Yeah.
0: Mm. I think it's also, I think your point is also scary because, you know, there's such a level of cancel culture around now that if you say something that people disagree with, they can then strike you off their list of people that they follow or (laughs) that they want to work with or anything like that. So there's this certain level of, you know, watching your words and and what you say. And one of the kind of most recent examples for me is there was that host who was, announced as the new Jeopardy host in America and I think Jeopardy's a big cultural icon in America right and then suddenly he wasn't the host anymore because of something he'd said on the podcast years ago right and it's just like it seems like in some places you've got to be perfect from the moment that you're born (laughs) till the day you get your dream job because we're going to comb back through your history and if you said anything incorrect we're going to haul you over the coals for it right and You've got to realize that people are gonna say the things they're gonna say they're gonna say stupid things from time to time. You've got to start to look beyond the, you know, look into their for me, look into their hearts and their intentions, because I think we all learn as we go along. But if if the intention is there, and I've had, I mean, wonderful people like um Chris Luz, who, you know, is the lighting uh designer in Vegas, who's really constantly looking at the way that he's been Uh, cultured and what he can do to shift those cultural norms and and how how he plays as a a white male, what his role has been in that and um, the mistakes that he may have made in the past and how he can improve things in the future. I mean, I think that's the right right approach, you know, because we can only start from where we're at and build from there. And as long as we're open into learning and growing in each experience and job that we do, then, then there needs to be some tolerance for people to say, The wrong thing especially maybe at the end of an 18-hour day when you (laughs) haven't slept and (laughs) haven't eaten properly
1: (laughs) and and after all like I I do feel that part of the art's responsibility is to start dialogue so why not start them among ourselves and have that conversation but it means that we're willing to listen and we are also feeling safe to provide or, or start a conversation with someone
0: no and if I reflect on if I reflect on that conversation that I had in the bar with that production manager I think it forced me to think a little bit about maybe I was quite unconscious about the type of stage manager I was but I kind of rebelled against that idea of well I have to be a bitch to be a stage manager so my my conscious choice from there was that I would try and prove him wrong right that I could I could do that another way and I was going to try and be true to my personality and um, and it just it forced me to think about it, right, rather than be unconscious about how I was in the workplace. So if anything, you could, I could thank that person for opening that door about thinking about what kind of stage manager that I'd want to be and most of the time I think I just because I'm quite eternally an optimistic person, I look back on those bad experiences fondly because I feel like it's either made me stronger or it's, given me a a guideline of where how I want to navigate my path, whether it's like, I would never do that to a person, I'd never say that to a, a younger person. It, it sets it, it, some of the biggest lessons you learn in the industry is of what not to do, right? <laughs>
1: so yeah, uh, I think this is part of the conversation we had last time. Like, we did come to that circle back to this. It's like that we keep those as the people we don't want to become. Yeah. Or the... <laughs> The things we don't want to do.
0: Yeah, and you don't want to make people feel that way, right? And I think that's the most important thing. You you want to make people feel good about themselves, you know. And I just I love it. I I think I told you I've kept every bad evaluation or review that I've ever had, and I have them all filed away in a little folder. And if I ever get too big on myself, I go read <laughs> go read again. <laughs> um. Just to, uh, I don't know. It's humbling a little bit, but also, I don't know. I don't know why I do it. I think it's it's probably pretty weird. I think people would throw the negative reviews and kick the good ones, but I I feel it's I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing I do.
1: Which I think, and it's what I was going to say. It's a perfect segue to talk about teams and and building good teams. And on that note, I have to say that I don't think I've ever had a written
0: feedback Evaluation?
1: from mm. any. Mm-mm. and I've worked in a lot of companies where it's part of the HR protocol and at the end of the day I've for whatever reason good or bad like I've had feedback and verbal feedback and but I can't find them I don't have any of them good or bad I just don't my most
0: awkward one when was when I was put into the technical role at House of Dancing Order and I had to give my husband his his evaluation <laughs> that was Awkward, because <laughs> I was his like technically his boss for a certain period of time. So I had to do the evaluations. That was the hardest evaluation I've ever had to do.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about teams. Like it, I just there is so much nepotism, and there is so much. Well, let's not talk about the wrong parts, but putting the right team together and making sure that you don't fall into s- this traps because that could have been a dangerous path, and you're super. Down to earth, and you know what you're doing, and you're not going to let. But that's not something is it that's easy to do, and people will do. Being able to separate personal from professional, and be actually able to do both, or embody both both roles. Yeah, I think
0: it's really hard because I think that. The culture in the industry is to want to work with the people that you know and that you've got done the hard yards before, right? So, and I know that the tendency is to do that, but because you do that often closes doors to potentially amazing other people that you could be working with as well. And so, when you're also talking about equity and diversity, you know, people are like, well, no people of color applied for this job, so I can't interview them. Well, you've got, sometimes you've got to go find them right and you've got to go put the work in to go and try and create that diverse team or create a pipeline where you can bring more diversity through your company so it's a massive problem it's not just like one one thing it's proven that more diverse teams are better teams but what's your roadmap when you've got a short period of time to deliver a, a very high-level product under budget with the things? You know, how many people do you... This is from a producer's perspective, right? How many people do you bring into that but still guarantee the success of the show? Um, there's not a lot of tolerance. I think I think in, say, long-term running shows, it's an easier thing, right, because you can start to create training programs. You talk about, like, oh, and all these long-running shows in Las Vegas, I think there's there's no excuses for those kind of shows not to have a huge, diverse group of people or, or training plans and things like that because you've got the time and you've got people who can build that. I think when you're doing short events and things like that, you're, you're trying to bring the, the team that you, you know how to work with really quickly and deliver it. You know, I recently have worked a couple of times with a technical director here in Hong Kong And we're now like, do you want this gig? Oh, give me that gig. Oh, we'll share this. And and we've got this relationship because we know each other's skill set. And we know that we can quite easily recommend that person in place of me if I can't do it or vice versa. And that's a lovely situation to be in, but it doesn't open the door for other people that might be around Hong Kong and equally competent, right? So- Good teams and diverse teams in terms of expanding your network of good teams takes work. And I think that's the hardest thing. So there's one it's two silos. It's like the creating a good team that's gonna have a good synergy without politics and blah, 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 blah. And then it's like getting new talent in and building your um, building your network of really talented people. I think we're really fortunate through theatre art life to be meeting so many talented people, right? I feel like we've got the ultimate like list (laughs) where we need (laughs) talented people. Just go through our podcast list, you know. There's some really talented people out there and it's wonderful to meet them. And then if you start to think about, oh, this good person and this good person and how you, but once you're in it, I know I'm rambling, but once you're in it, you've also got to set the tone of how you want that team to work. So it's really important that you can't just like put a, a, a team together and just expect it to function. I think there's got to be, some kind of guidelines and strategies not to sit there and put them in a box and tell them to stay there but there is kind of there has to be an effort at connecting the dots between them the reporting lines without too much like you know paperwork and rigorousness on that but you do need to set the framework in which people can operate safely and happily that's really important I think because if people are just left to their own there's how many jobs have I walked in where like You're the stage manager. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean in this context? And you have to go and figure it out, right? Well, nobody's ever told me what my role is. I've had to go in and figure it out and deliver it in the way I think it should be done. Was it the right way or not? I don't know. But you didn't give me a job description. How many times have I written my own job description? Oh, my God. Probably in the last 10 years, I've written my own job description. It's interesting.
1: Thoughts? (laughs) It's good. It got me thinking thoughts in all directions. Because uh, then then what about expectations, right? They have an expectations for you and your job. And then, well, how do you even know if you fulfill it or not? Just take us back to evaluations and just having a conversation. But at the same time, the fact that we can or we should go and say, like, well, what do you exactly expect from me? And that might mean that we might not have all the skill sets for that. So that's also an opportunity for us to learn and makes the industry very interesting. And exciting, and we don't get bored because we can keep learning. But also, how important is that to put that into the equation? When you were saying talking about the resident shows, to be able to to create a, a growth path for the people in there, like you don't want them to just sleep, but people have to grow, have to evolve, and not get bored. And and that takes work, right? Well,
0: yeah, and and I think it's really important because, say. When I was managing at the House of Dancing Water, we had a team of stage managers and they all came to learn, they all came to grow and there was this whole sort of balance of you wanted them to come for at least two years because by the time you fly them to Macau and train them over a six-month period and stuff, you want to have that kind of period where you reap the benefits of the training that you've done and, and all of that sort of stuff. But at the same time, they need to stay on a growth curve that they feel satisfied with and and some people come in with a ge- particular agenda, right? They want to come in to call the show or they want to come in to have this. And 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 I think it's, it's one that starts at the hiring phase, to be hiring the right mentality. I think I've, I made a mistake early on of hiring good stage managers who are really production-minded but not big team players, right, not people that would be happy to stay in... Macau for two to three years on a resident show. I was hiring people that wanted to come, call the show, and disappear after a year, right? Like wanted to get that under their belt. So I sort of had to start to shift the kind of, and they were, and they were the people that I knew because I'd always been in a lot of production-based sort of work before, not in a long-term operating show. And so I realised I had to start shifting to the right type of people that would come and stay there and have enough happiness to grow in the opportunities that I could give them over the years that they stayed there and grow up through those roles. And that worked sometimes and that worked didn't that didn't work sometimes. And I think one of my most negative experiences being a manager, which is really disappointing and still hurtful for me to this day, if I'm I'm really honest, because it really destroyed the team, but I had made an agreement with one of the stage managers that she I would teach her to call the show. And most of the time when I taught people to call the show, there was the premise that if you become a show caller, it's an effort. You've got, I've got to run you through trainings. I've got to spend time training you. We've got to run um, stuff in show conditions for you to do it before you do the real show call. It's like a three-month period that we train you to call the show. So in that three-month period, once you get to be a show caller, what I want from you is a year's worth of show calling right that's what i want i uh, that's my request if i'm going to take you through this process you give me tw- at least 12 months of show calling uh, this particular situation was that one that this person had agreed to do that and we went through the process and uh we we sh- she called the show and six six to 10 shows in after that she resigned my response to that was to pull her off the show because well you know why continue, I hadn't finished the training with her because you still sit behind her for a certain period till you walk away. And I never put it in writing, I guess. I had trusted that that person would do that. And it didn't, now that was the choice that she made, but she was also very um, upset about the fact that I'd taken her off the show call because of her resignation. Um, Well, I was like, well, if I'm not, if you're not going to stay here for a year, then we could stop the process right now. For me, it was kind of black and white. And then that caused a lot of turmoil and trouble in the team, to be honest, and um, it, it was a really uh, dark time in the, in the whole team because that, there, was a, there was a definite discontent between her and myself. But, um, yeah, that was tough. Uh, I think that's the hardest learning curve. But I still think now I still think I made the right decision. I just, the problem that, the problem that I did was I shouldn't have hired that person in the first place. I was too I hired the wrong person in the first place so I own that as my mistake right the trouble with the whole thing with that department was because I'd hired the wrong person and so I'll own it and I think when you're a manager or when you're a producer or whatever everything below you is your fault everything everything and if you can't if you can't take that role and know that everything below you is your fault then you should not be in that role
1: that's my opinion <laughs> <laughs> Lots of responsibility.
0: It is, but I think that's what people say, oh, you get to those positions and it's easy because all you do is wander around and tell people what to do. Well, that's not it's not. That's not it. <laughs> when you're in those positions, you're holding the world on your shoulders, right, and the, the, the buck stops with you. Uh, I think a lot of people sometimes forget that, you know. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N-floors.com.
1: And all the experience you have to have to be able to, like we, we, we also spoke today about uh, technical knowledge and knowing things, just knowing what you don't know and knowing who to ask the question and when to ask questions and which kind of questions to ask. And I think that plays an important role when you get to managing teams in just being able to understand what they're doing, maybe not micromanage them or tell them exactly what to do, but understand.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the learning, like we discussed before, the learning never stops and it's all around you, in every department, in every facet of everything. I don't care what department you sit in, you can learn from everybody around you, in every show that you do, in every department, there is opportunity for you to know more. And the more you know, the more you have under that tool belt, the better you are able to be jumping from job to job, show to show, in uh, genre to genre of entertainment, you know. Like you may have learned enough technical knowledge to go work for a projection company or go back and work for a circus or go, you know, like I think there's a lot to be said for a generalist, a, ge- a generalist of, in terms of being inquisitive, even if you're a master in lighting or a master in something. But to be a gen- of generalist interest of the things around you is important.
1: I was wondering just how how plastic the brain would be of the people that are actually asking all the questions all the time and trying to learn a little bit more.
0: I think the thing that's hard is that there's just so much out there now. You know, there's so much you can consume. There's so much you can learn. There's so much available on YouTube. Like, it's like for me, it's always like, where do I put my attention? Like, where do I spend my time? And And I think that's, as, you know, when... I started in the industry. Well, there wasn't that availability of all of this, and so now it's just daunting. I get sent emails every day from, like, I, you know, because of theatre art life. I'm subscribed to a lot of industry news and websites and groups and things like that. And some days I'm just like, oh, I can't deal. Delete, delete, delete. I don't want to read anything. And other days I'll just open it up and 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 explore and read and learn and 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 that's it. Just depends on my state of mind. But some days it's overwhelming. It's like especially when you look at it from a global perspective, when you think about what's, what's really happening, where's, where is the cutting-edge stuff happening, you know? And I think a lot of people go, oh, well, our industry is the most cutting-edge. But if you're talking about, say, you know, automated systems, some of the most advanced sort of amazing stuff is happening in the concert industry. You go see, you know, the, that's, you know, faster market, Produced, they've got the money, or even like cruise ships these days got a lot of money going into cruise ships and lots of advanced gear happening there, and and so there's the tendency to be like, well, these industries are the beacon of of advanced technology, and then if you look around, it's like not necessarily because and like the UAE is one of the most audacious areas in the world that I think that takes on new technology like I've never seen anyone else before like if it's there if it exists they've probably used it in some event or launch or you know what I mean like they just want the most cutting edge shit. they actively go out and and seek seek it and it's quite daunting when you get there because you you just introduce the things that you've never even seen before and you're like wow and they're like oh yeah that's so six months ago <laughs> and you're like oh okay and uh I think that's really exciting I guess it's like where do you when I Because I look at it from all of the input that comes through Theatre Art Life, I'm always a little bit overwhelmed. It's like, wow, where should I be
1: learning more? <laughs> Do you have an answer yet or does it vary on days? And I think it, it varies
0: between for me of like, because for me, when I get back onto a job, it's like one step at a time. Like I, I'm really, the integrity of the end product for me is always about Sorry, the quality of the end product is always about the integrity of each step for me in any process. So I try to take that day and that that moment of whatever project I'm on and focus as much as I can on that one step rather than getting overwhelmed by the big whole process. So I say that I'm a big generalist looking at that, but when it comes to a process that I'm actually engaged in, I'm really the opposite. I'm kind of single-minded focused in terms of I'm, I'm not, I try not to be distracted by all of that. I'm like, okay, what do I need to deliver this next step with integrity? What to, what's this one? What's this one? What's this one? And then hopefully if you treat each step with that integrity, at the end you've got a great product. I think sometimes people get lost in the, the whole over, overview of the project and then it becomes overwhelming. I like to keep it day by day. How
1: about you? You brought an interesting point of splitting it on what do you need to learn? Yes, it's, it's like when I don't have anything to do or when I decide to write a thesis, it's like, okay, what's the, what a rate of interest is what, I, what do I want to learn today? But when I'm working is what do I need to learn to get this done right now? And I think for the most part, I enjoy both, both processes. Even if it's learning new Things or how to run a new macro on Excel or how to <laughs> how to program on Python to get something done faster. I, I actually do enjoy that little things, although not always I will sit down. And it's like, okay, I have four hours to spare today because that happens very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when those days come, well, I'll probably yeah. be learning something different.
0: <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. but that's... Uh- I'm like, like I, I hate to be defeated by something like a not, not having the Excel formula. You know what I mean? I'm like, I will Google it. I will probably spend about ten minutes Googling it or trying to find the video for it. And if I can't get it, because I get frustrated, because I'm like, it doesn't work for what I'm trying to do, and then I like. Usually my go-to with Excel is Dawn. She, she used to live down the road from me and i call her. I'm like, Dawn, I'm trying to do this with the budget. I'm trying to get this to do this. and It's not adding up. What am I doing? <laughs> <She's> always, <laughs> she solves it every time. And I'm like, oh. And then it's always something usually stupid and simple. And I'm like, oh, why didn't I not see that? the last time was re- the the last one was the, really the most stupidest thing i completely completely forgotten Excel and she was just laughing her eyes up. she said Anna you should know that I'm like yeah I should know that I can't believe I completely forgot but yeah it's super funny
1: there used to be Charlie Ortega when we were in Dubai and myself it was like Charlie I'm sure I can do this on Excel I don't know how to figure out and he's like oh but you just did this and this and it's all and I was like ah oh. And it makes sense and it was so easy and I just didn't think about it. When it comes to it, the Excel
0: formula is always logical. It's just that you didn't know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like, oh. But I think the thing is like if you're in Excel all the time, that it becomes such a natural language for you. But like in my work, it's like some day, some months I'll be living in a budget for a month and the next thing next three months I'm not. So then I go back to Excel and I'm like, oh, what was that formula? So it's not it's not has not been regular enough in my life to be a master of it I think that's that that's one of those frustrating things that like you just you want to be able to dabble back into it and and be a master of it and it's just I see some finance people and the way they there I've been on meetings and they're like click 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 I'm like damn you're fast (laughs) but that's what they do all day right so it's like yeah
1: (laughs) Uh, going back at the point of being generalist
0: yeah yeah, and I think also knowing what you can't like—if it's better to outsource from yourself, like knowing what you can't do, and, and whether that experience is better, better spent by handing it over to somebody else. You know, somebody called me up for something this week, and like I was saying, I was like, "This this is a role for that the technical director because he's far more competent." At what you're asking of me, than of me, and um, you'll get a you'll have a smoother process. And so I just handed it over to that person. And I think knowing when you should take something and knowing when you shouldn't is always important. I would say in summary, I think that creating good teams means you've got to do the work to to find diversity, new talent in combination with people you know and can trust well. That's a hard answer. I think that women in leadership need to stand up more and not take any shit <laughs> and that people should be kind to people that are learning in all facets of um, the entertainment industry and give them space and time to and encouragement rather than criticism because i think that people would can leave the industry on the ba- on the back of that if they're not tenacious enough and i just don't think that's an environment you want to cultivate in the industry that's all what about you
1: building tims is hard yeah Finding the right, uh, team. yeah, yes, finding the right team is really hard, and sometimes it's not even on you. Mm. I think among women, we, we need to talk more. We yeah. need to share more experiences. I've heard this so much, but it's just been recently that I actually realized how helpful it is to to share experiences. I agree, and keep learning.
0: Mm. Always. Because the industry keep, <laughs> cause the industry keeps evolving, so we have to keep evolving with it, right?
1: <laughs> well the you know, I'm I'm grateful for all those scientists and engineers that keep bringing up cool toys for, you know, manufacturing or making the real world's lives easier. And then we're like, okay, so what if we use it in a different way? Yeah. But uh keep bringing us possibilities to play with absolutely all right we'll see you next week yeah i'll see you for the actual podcast when we have a guest (laughs) (laughs) theater at life is a global media site for entertainment memberships start at only 38 us dollars per year